This morning's Bible reading can be found on page 1002 in the Bibles in front of you. It's from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, reading from verses 21 to 39. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is God's word. Jimmy, thank you, and uh, good morning, everyone. Let me have my welcome. If we've not met, my name is Matt Fuller. And uh, if you're part of the regular church family and think, hold on a minute, we had that reading last week, you are absolutely right. Uh, And um, we did, this is 24 hours uh, in the life of Jesus. Um, sort of Jack Bauer-esque, sort of, um, about 24 hours. Uh, but last time, as we sent off the planters to uh, Wembley Park, we focused on verses 35 and 39, the priority that Jesus had to go about preaching. Uh, this morning, uh, we're mostly in the first half of the, the same passage, thinking of his authority, and um, to everyone's delight in the West, we should mostly be casting out demons this morning. You look nervous. <laughs> Probably one or two who are laughing. Um, okay, let's pray. Let's pray together.
our great God and Father, <clears throat> at first glance, here are some strange things to modern ears. Help us understand rightly what's going on in the original account. <clears throat> Let us understand rightly what it means for us today. Chiefly, Lord, so that we view Jesus rightly. We love him. We trust him. We do ask in his name. Amen. Now, one man who's generated a lot of uh, headlines in the last fortnight, and Sam alluded to this, uh, Russell Brand, miserably, as um, details come out of his uh, predatory behavior. But he was one, um, so mainly driven by the Sunday Times reporting, uh, Times and Sunday Times reporting, he was one, um, and this was an interview with one of the women who accuses him. Uh, they called her Nadia, that's changed her name. But quite a striking headline, Russell Brand accuser. He's saying one thing, and I know the demon underneath it. It's quite strong. And um, actually, she's not, if you read the article, she's not actually speaking metaphorically. She says, actually, he came at me, and I, I didn't know him. It was his eyes glazed over, and it was as if another being had taken possession of him. So it's like she's using it in like a traditional sense that there's a demon bit underneath it. And I thought that's very unusual to have in a modern newspaper. And yet, oh, okay. It's not even commented on as brackets, obviously we all think that's weird, or um, poor girl had a very strange idea at this point. It's just reported as, well, maybe. It was very striking. And what do you make of it? Demons. Impure spirits. I mean, what do you make of it? I mean, it is quite unusual to 21st century Western ears. But when you come to the New Testament, and in particular when you come to Mark's gospel, this language of a spiritual realm and Satan and the demonic, it's actually impossible to avoid. Actually, of all the gospel writers, Mark gives it more focus than the other three. So we've got to engage with it. But in one sense, if you're a Christian here this morning, I hope you're not that thrown. And even if you're not, you have to recognize Christianity, it's a supernatural faith. I mean, much of what we do looks quite ordinary. But we all know that the work of the Lord Jesus to save us and transform our eternal destiny from heaven to hell Excuse me, the other way around, from hell to heaven. Um, this supernatural is at work. He is God. He's divine. And when you become a Christian, he places his spirit within you, who you cannot see, but he's changing you, transforming you. It's a supernatural faith. So certainly if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be too thrown or embarrassed even, I'd suggest. And really the, the focus here in the early stages of Mark 1 and this conflict between Jesus and the malevolent supernatural powers, spirits, demonic, it, the stress on it really is Jesus will save you from one kingdom. You're in bondage and he will release you and bring you into his kingdom. When you become a Christian, it's not like I'm going to change my voting allegiance I voted 
Tory last time, I'm going to vote Labour this time or Lib Dem last time and Green this time and maybe I'll move back in the next election. I'll just see what they're all doing. Um, it's a radical transformation. It's nothing quite compares, but perhaps a little bit more like I was born and grew up in North Korea and knew nothing else until one day I moved to South Korea. I didn't move. Uh, I escaped to South Korea. Oh, Life is very different here. I didn't know quite how awful this regime was. I thought this was normal in the north. I moved south. It's very different. It is... I've been liberated <laughs> from a despotic regime to an imperfect but better place. And that really, as I say, is the point being made in Mark one here. Jesus came to deliver people from bondage to one power, one regime, and take them into his kingdom, which is much better. Now, again, you may be more familiar, maybe we use more commonly, the, 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 the Bible has lots of different ways of describing our human condition, the predicament, those um, who are sinners, uh, who have rebelled against God's good power, and we need to repent of our rebellion and come back to him. That's true. Those who are idolaters, who obsess and, and love the wrong things too much, career or money or sex or whatever it is, and, and we need to have our loves reorientated and have the Lord at the center. That's true. And another picture is we're in bondage. We're enslaved by the devil, by a malevolent power. We don't even realize it, but we need liberating from that and brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that isn't in the West the sort of picture we use most commonly. Other parts of the world, that language of deliverance and in bondage to evil, yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's us. Whew, we know that. And the language of idolatry, what on earth are you even talking about? But here in the West, perhaps... We, and most of us are going to say, hold on, <laughs> I never was in bondage to evil, thank you very much. I never lived under this evil regime, and I certainly, I'm not a Christian, I'm certainly not in that now. Well, don't overplay it, but I think I mentioned last time, my, uh, my son's on travels at the moment, and uh, 18-year-old, he, he visited Auschwitz with a friend um, on their sort of interrailing around Europe. Anyway, he, he's got a vlog his parents aren't allowed to see it, but anyway, uh, for all these mates, you know, they, they, they travel around, they're producing this vlog, and uh, he did some stuff on Auschwitz, and uh, one of his mates back here, he commented, yeah, I wouldn't go, I would never go there, because um, grandparents were Polish and were Nazi collaborators, so I just couldn't go, I mean, just be, I just, that would screw me up a little bit. Apparently, it's went back and forth a bit, but it's, that's a. What do you do if you're Polish in the 1940s? And well, you, you sort of collaborate, or you sort of get killed. And so, you, look, I'm not an evil person. I'm just under an evil regime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore, you're collaborating, and you're, you are part of it, unwittingly, unwillingly, maybe, but you're on the wrong side. And when liberation comes, oh, thank goodness for that. And so it may well be for us. 
You say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not, a, I'm not a bad person, not an evil person. No, 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 you're not. But you're on the wrong side until the Lord Jesus liberates you. And that's what we're thinking on this morning in primarily in Mark chapter 1. Naturally, all of us are, or if we're Christians now, were part of this kingdom in bondage to a power that we could not liberate ourselves from. And Jesus can, or if you're a Christian, has done that. And let me encourage you, if you're a Christian here this morning, we've forgotten, or perhaps never realized, quite how exceptionally dramatic this is. And maybe Mark 1 is here to say to you, you've been released from a bondage to a power that you could never escape from. It is like being released from demon possession. Oh, and if it does that, I think the passage has done its job. Let's, um, let's turn into this then. Uh, 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 we're going to look at these three ways. So Jesus then, we're looking this morning, his authority. He has authority over evil. Uh, more briefly, he has compassion on the sick. And then lastly, his teaching sets people free. That hopefully will steer us through it. He has authority over evil, 21 to 28. He has compassion on the sick, 29 to 34. His teaching sets people free free. First, uh, chapter 1 and verses 21 to 28, he has authority over evil. Now look, before we get into the detail, you've got to hold this paragraph together. And it's useful to know that Mark loves what you might want to call sandwiches. Uh, and it's got to be the right kind of sandwich, a simple sandwich, not a prep wrap where everything sort of goes in together. But you know, you're, you're very basic, bit of bread, bit of filling, bit of bread. Mark loves using that technique. And you have to hold the paragraph together, otherwise sometimes you end up going, what on earth is that about? So there's numerous ones. Uh, people argue. There's six that everyone agrees that definitely he's using that technique, and maybe another six more, but you can make up your mind on that. But it looks like he introduces something, goes to something completely different, and then comes back to this idea again. But you have to hold the bits together for it to make sense. So here in this little account, chapter 21, and Jason, we may have a little slide or it's on, on the uh, sheet. It's very obvious what's going on. So let me read it for you. But you get this amazed teaching authority, then he drives out the spirit, amazed teaching authority. Okay, that's what's going on. So verse 21, they went to Capernaum, that's Jesus and his first four disciples. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went in the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. That's your bread. Bit of chicken in the middle. Uh, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet. Said Jesus sternly, Come out. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. Okay, back to your bread. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Okay. So what is not is, Jesus went to teach them. And then there was this annoying heckler. Uh, and uh, Jesus dealt with the heckler. Um, and that was a bit disruptive, and everyone said, ooh, a bit of a fuss in the church on Sunday morning. Anyway, and then they went back to the doing the teaching. It's not, you know, camera. Rather, Jesus taught. Let's zoom in a bit more closely. 
Here's the impact of his teaching. It delivers people from evil. That is what he's doing when he's teaching. Okay? That is what Mark is saying to us here. Now, what about this deliverance? Was this normal in the first century? Is this like, yeah, 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 I mean, if you're writing in the first century, everyone did that. What did you do at the weekend? Oh, I went out and cast out a demon and then went to the pub. Um, no. You can, read, you can get that from the, just the way that Mark writes it. This happens and the people go, whoa, what is that? Twice we're told, this, they are amazed. And that's a sort of funny old translation. It's not... Um, Hey, I like your dress. You look amazing. That's amazing. Hey, look what he can do. It's amazing. It has more of a sense of, uh, more of a sense of a slap around the face. They were shocked, stunned. They saw this and went, uh, whoa, a bit uncomfortable. Who, who's this? Like, we've never seen anything like this. Okay. This is not normal. It's not they're all stupid back then and, you know, someone really needed some medical advice but they cast out demons. First century, <sighs> idiots. No, they all thought this was extraordinary, even at the time. Uh, and then I guess the more pertinent question in one sense, is this normal today? No, I don't think so. There is an intensity of opposition to Jesus because he's God's king. And so, as these, this demon here says, I know who you are. You're Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? You're the Holy One of God. All right. I know why who you are. I know why you've come. And I'm in trouble now. And I've put down some of the other demonic encounters. You get much the same there. Chapter 5, I know who you are. You're going to destroy me, aren't you? So it's who he is brings this intensity of opposition. Did you, uh, did you ever watch The Lord of the Rings or read it? The, um, the last film, the king is uh, Aragorn. He's the good king, king of Gondor. He's Isildur's heir, whatever. Uh, but that matters because um, the, the bad one, the bad, the, 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 the villain, Sauron, says, oh, that's the one I hate most, Aragorn, because his heir destroyed me generations ago. That's the one I fear. So in the last film, Aragorn marches up with no men, not, it's a hopeless case, but to the gates of Sauron's castle, and everyone attacks him. Every single soldier is sent. It's like a magnet. Everything goes to Aragorn, and then Frodo can sneak in and get rid of the ring. Um, because of who he is. Or, generational difference, uh, the last Harry Potter book, Voldemort invades, invades, attacks Hogwarts. Why? I, give me Harry Potter. Give me Harry Potter. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, that sort of slightly uh, unnerving voice. Um, uh, you wouldn't want him to... <laughs> Sweet nothings. No thanks, Voldemort. Um, the, uh, he's obsessed. He's obsessed with the one. Why is he obsessed with the one? Because the one can destroy him, and he knows that. That's the one he needs to kill. Why does Jesus... You know, everywhere Jesus goes, demons pop out. Why? Because he can destroy them. That's not normal. There's no one like 
Aragorn, Harry Potter, they're all just echoes, right? They're all just stealing from the best story. That's what's going on here. When Jesus comes, the impure spirits, they converge on him. They're obsessed by him. They cry out against him. So, no, I don't think you'd expect the same today. Although in some cultures, which open themselves up much more to occult practices, it is more prevalent. And I don't think that's surprising either. But nothing like this. What do you do with the evil spirits? I mean, C.S. Lewis uh, wisely observed in his introduction to the Screwtape Letters, his classic book, people tend to either disbelieve or, on the other hand, feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in the demons. The demons themselves are equally pleased with both responses. You know, you either be obsessed and go, oh, probably one under the stage. Um, there's going to, you know, just obsessive in a desperately unhealthy way, or say there's no such thing. Now, there needs to be a, a, a measured wisdom here. But the point is, crucially, that Jesus has authority over evil. And it was, it's all very simple, isn't it? So you, <laughs> verse 22, this man appears, he cries out, verse um, 24, you get these questions. What do you want with us? Jesus, now that you come to destroy us, the Holy One Israel, I know who you are. And it's all very unremarkable. What Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't sort of go for some dramatic, you know, right, let me roll up my sleeves and, you know, you know and um, expelliarmus and, um, you know, really go for it uh, in some sense. It's just all very quite unremarkable. You shut up, get out. It's like the perfect school teacher. You Shut up. Get out. There you go. Okay. But it's complete authority. There's no discussion or debate here. And let me say again, this teaching of Jesus, it's the teaching that confronts evil and then sets this man free from bondage. Can I just observe a few things? <laughs> this is the first miracle Mark records, this is the first lesson in training his new disciples, these early four. This is the first public display of his authority. What would you choose if you had to record Jesus' first miracle? I mean, you'd probably be like John, like water into wine, I like it. You know, that sells in the 21st century. We like that. Would you record this? The first thing I want you to know about Jesus is this. Would it be yours? But Mark is saying, this is why he's come. This is what happens when you, he teaches and you trust him. You put your faith in him. You move from one realm. You move from being enslaved bound in bondage to evil and you're liberated, you're set free that's why he's come we might have not chosen that Mark says and he says to us in the 21st century do you realise quite how dramatic it is when you become a Christian do you realise that he has authority over evil next miracle recorded he has compassion on the sick now, what's going on here? It's a bit different. Uh, verse 29. 
Uh, so news about him, verse 28, spreads quickly over the whole region of Galilee. But they go back to uh, the house in, um, in Capernaum. So verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So uh, these fishermen, they've done quite well. They've got good business, and they've got a big house, and everyone can come there. And uh, uh, Simon, Peter, and uh, Andrew, they've got a big house, and their wives, they're married, so it appears there, and their in-laws are staying with them. And Jesus comes in, and Peter says, my mother-in-law is sick in bed, so that's good. So we can, you know, I, can, you know, I can impress you, and she won't interrupt me and undermine me. He doesn't say that. He says, uh, my mother-in-law is upstairs in bed, and Jesus goes straight away, to heal. Now, very few details here. Verse 31, he went, he took her hand, he helped her up, the fever left her. Very few details. And it's of interest in Mark's gospel. Generally, when he encounters the demonic, he speaks, and in, physical, in healings, he touches. I don't know why, but I think what's stressed here is probably his Kindness, gentleness, compassion, probably. Who is healed? Who, again, if you were going to record Jesus doing a healing miracle, like as the first one, uh, who do you do first? Or if Jesus is going to do one, who do you, do you go to a prominent citizen in the town and heal him so that everyone knows? Go to some, one of the leaders. You know, yeah, I, I was about to die, but Jesus healed me. Great, great big fuss. No, this is private. And it's an unnamed mother-in-law. Why? I think the point is, Jesus is just kindness, compassion. It's just what he does. No great fuss made of it. Oh, my family member's sick. It's fine. I'll sort it out. It's just what he does when he goes about. And she gets up and serves immediately. Not, uh, uh, how are you? Let's call her Mabel. How are you, Mabel? I'm on the mend. Thanks. Uh, how are you, Mabel? Not too bad. Just got to keep taking these tablets for another week to make sure symptoms don't return. It's instant is the point, isn't it? She gets up and he'll, he'll straight away. So Mark, I don't think in this narrative is saying, look at his greatness. He's saying, look at his character. Look at his kindness. Look at his compassion. And then verses 32 to 34, people hear about this. And in one night, he manages to banish all ailments in the town of Capernaum. Quite remarkable. And of course, at this point, we say, or perhaps think, that would be good. Jesus, you don't have to do the whole city of London, just my house would be great. And for somewhere, it's a bit more acute. We think, Jesus, I'd love, we'd love to see your death-dispelling touch now, now, and he says, you will see that. You know, his first coming, uh, they're recorded in the Gospels, it's a bit like Jesus enters a black and white world, and he's the figure of color, and whenever he goes, everything he touches turns to color, and then he moves on, it goes to black and white again. He's the one who has life. And he brings it wherever he goes. But it's only temporary in this world. But the new world is a world full of color. When he comes the first time, it's, 
you should be excited about what I can do. Be excited about a coming world which has no sickness, which has no disease, which has no death. Be excited about that. That's not this world, but I'm just showing you that that's what I'll bring. Or have you been on a... Um, uh, have you been to a theme park recently? I don't know. Um, the roller coasters these days, and you queue for an hour, two hours, three hours, for the, for, in the queue for the roller coasters. But now it seems to be, uh, most recently I went, they all have tellies. So you're in the queue and you're watching the telly of um, people who are currently on the ride. Uh, you know, and some people, you know, teenagers, they've been on this ride loads of times. So they know where the cameras are. So they're like, uh, there are others who've never been on it before. Like, and occasionally you see the old um, but you know, you don't, but the, 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 these cameras, they're there. Look, you, it's in a queue and it's a bit boring, but keep, stick with it. Because this is fun, right? When it comes, it's fun. So stick with it. It may be a bit dull now, but stick with it because what is coming is worth it. That's these miracles. This world, no, no sickness, no disease, is coming. So the one we're currently in, a bit dull. Worse than dull, isn't it? Hard, painful. But keep going. Keep going, it'll be worth it. That's the healings. So he has authority over evil. He has compassion on the sick. Last, it's his teaching that sets people free. Now, 35 to 39, we looked at it in detail last week, so I'm not going to look at it really, apart from just that final verse. Do you see? Verses 21 to 28, first miracle of Jesus. He speaks and people are liberated. This man is liberated from bondage to evil. Second miracle, he heals the mother-in-law. And you get this summary statement in verse 34. So Jesus healed many who had various diseases and he also drove out many demons. Summary statement. Verse 39, Jesus has asserted his priority is to preach Verse 39, he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. And where's the healing? Okay, this is one unit in Mark we've looked at. It's 24 hours. Let's summarize verse 34. He healed and he drove out demons. Verse 39, he preached, he drove out demons. Why no healing? Now, I can't tell you 100% for certain but I think the point is, preaching the gospel, as Jesus does here, it will free people from bondage to evil. It doesn't free you from suffering in this world. And that is quite an important difference. No. <laughs> that is an incredibly important difference. The teaching of Jesus will move you from a kingdom of evil to his kingdom. It'll release you from bondage in this world forever. It won't prevent you getting sick. There's a difference, I think. If someone hears the gospel message, trusts Jesus, they've moved from one kingdom to another. Pastorally, very important. You can never be in bondage to evil again once you become a Christian. You belong to Jesus. But we'll get sick. You and I need liberating. If you're a Christian, that has happened. You've moved from one kingdom to another. Don't underestimate how significant that is. 
if you're not certain on earth, we do get this. The whole world, the Western world even, gets this in some arenas. I don't know if in your family, your friendship group, your wider family, you've had, there's been someone um, devastated with addiction. Certainly my wider family watched one relative, an alcoholic, destroy their family, their own life, the fabric of their house as it collapsed around them. Just, you'd say, absolutely in bondage to her alcoholism. And another with drugs lose his family, his friendship group, his freedom as he ended up in prison because of bondage to drugs. We get that. We see that in some arenas. And you know that all of the addiction groups, the 12-step groups that started off with Alcoholic Anonymous, you do know how they all begin, right? The 12 steps. I'm not going to list them all, but the first three, Jason, we might have. First three steps. This is, if you, if you join Alcoholics Anonymous or any other equivalent, they all begin this way. This is what you sign up to. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That is a secular organization largely now. And that's how you begin. You say, I'm in bondage to a power that I cannot free myself from. And my only hope is in a God who can. We get it. Right? In the West, we still get it. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but that's, that's one manifestation. Every single person on this planet, without exception, is born in bondage to evil. Oh, that's a bit... You may just be a collaborator. You may not be the gross perpetrator. But you're in bondage to evil. And you cannot liberate yourself. Jesus comes and says, put your faith in me. I am God's king who can conquer sin, can conquer death, will return to bring justice. Put your faith in me, and I will move you from the realm of evil into my kingdom. For many of us, that happened so long ago, we can't even remember it. But don't ever underestimate how dramatic that move is. And that you could never do it on your own. Only the power of Jesus has done that. And it affects where you spend eternity. So trust him. Keep trusting him. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, for some of us, this is unfamiliar language or language we choose to skip over pretty quickly because we don't know what to do with it. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is the answer to all our problems. Yes, he is the one who pays for our rebellion. Yes, he is the one who can pull us from idolatry. And clearly here, he is the one who can liberate us because we're in bondage to an evil power that we could never release ourselves from. 
Father, thank you that in trusting him, many of us who are Christians know that already. For those still weighing these things up, would they recognize the truth of that? Uh, And Father, for all of us, would we see that that is an extraordinary, supernatural occurrence in our lives? And praise the Lord Jesus that it's true. Amen.